Welcome to Come and Reason, a podcast about life, ministry, and God's continuing work in the minds of His people. I'm your host, Joe Henson, and this podcast is presented by DeclaringGlory.com. In this episode, we consider one more big idea to help prepare our minds and hearts for the upcoming celebration of Thanksgiving. This episode is the fourth of five messages recently presented to the Congregation of Trinity Bible Church, and it challenges us to wrestle hard with the reality that gratitude is the will of God for His people. Tonight we're going to spend the next few minutes on our final midweek devotion before the celebration of Thanksgiving. We've been working the last few weeks, as you know, if you've been with us, through considering the subject of biblical gratitude and thanksgiving. Biblical gratitude and thanksgiving. As I stated at the beginning of these messages, our goal in these midweek devotionals is to help us prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds for this upcoming holiday. So often it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me in my experience that Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that often gets lost in the middle and sneaks right up on us. And if we're not careful, we don't really give a whole lot of thought to it until maybe the Sunday before or a couple of days before or even the day of when we finally, after a, the preparation of a meal, have a few minutes to sit down, catch our breath, and think, hopefully, a few thankful thoughts. It just seems like in our day and in our culture, this time of giving thanks is shortened further and further and further every year. What I wanted to do in these last few weeks, and really with almost a whole month of preparation for this holiday, was to just keep sounding this call to us to be a people who are thinking rightly and genuinely giving thanks. And not just in this season, but in all of life. This is our goal. This is what we've been talking about. With that in mind, then we've been working our way through a handful of biblical principles that are rooted in specific texts of Scripture. And for the past three weeks, then, we've wrestled with the first three of five messages. So tonight's the fourth, and then, Lord willing, Sunday will be the kind of the capstone sermon in this mini-series of sermons as we are leading up to Thanksgiving. Hopefully, you're going to remember that the first sermon in this series was really a time when we asked and answered the question, Thanksgiving, what is it? And then two weeks ago, we addressed a second subject. We said it this way, ingratitude, fruit of unbelief. Then the next week, we took that same subject from a different perspective, a different angle. We took a look at it, and we considered this, ingratitude, fruit of entitlement, and tonight what we want to do is this. I want to take up another big and foundational idea, and I want us to look at it now from the positive side, and I want to consider this, gratitude, the will of God. Let me just begin by setting the stage for what we want to talk about tonight. You know, over the years, my experience has been pretty consistent with professing believers who desire to know the will of God for their lives. Everywhere I've ministered, everywhere I've been, from even my childhood in Christian churches through Bible college and Christian school experiences, everyone wants to know the will of God. But what I found interesting in most of the discussion around the will of God is that most of those who talk of the will of God talk as if they believe that God has somehow hidden His will from people. And what we have to do is spend our lives seeking out and discovering the will of God, almost like seeking for hidden treasure, like the Holy Grail or something. 
I mean, nobody can really find it, but we're going to spend a lifetime looking for it and hoping maybe somewhere along the way we stumble onto something that might at least resemble the will of God and maybe get around to doing it. We hear that kind of language as if somehow the will of God is hidden out there somewhere, always just beyond our grasp, and we hope someday we'll find it. And maybe on that day when we finally find it, we can start to do it. But brethren, that's a problem. That's a major problem in the thinking of professing believers. Because that kind of thinking results in many professing believers who seem to to float along through this life, wondering about and hoping to know, and yet ignorant of God's will, rather than knowledgeably, actively, and intentionally doing God's will. Which is what we've been called to do. Not merely to hope we can find it, we've been called to do it as a way of life. To do the will of God. It has to be understood from the beginning then, friends, that God has not hidden his will from his people. He's not hidden it from us. In fact, we could say that he has given to us his word as a self-revelation, a revelation of him and his will for his own. That's why we have his word, so that we might know and In knowing it, by the Spirit's empowerment, do the will of God. As we saw in the conclusion to our Hebrew study this past Sunday, the Creator and the Sustainer God goes out of His way to make His will known to His creatures. Beyond making it known, just merely making it known, our text on Sunday told us that he actually works in his people. He works in his people so that they in turn do his will and thus are pleasing in his sight. Do you remember this from Sunday as we looked at our text, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21? Now may the God of peace, this was the benedictory prayer. At the end of the book, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, that prayer does not sound like the writer of Hebrews thought God was hiding his will under a rock somewhere. It sounds like one who was absolutely confident that God had not only made his will known, but God was actively working in his own so that they would do the very things God had already revealed to them, that they would walk in his ways and thus be pleasing in his sight as they do the will of God as a way of life. So we have to ask ourselves the question tonight, do we believe this about the will of God? Or have we somehow bought into what seems to be a pretty pretty, um, widespread misunderstanding about the will of God? I still remember years ago coming across a little book by John MacArthur, and and the title was, Found the Will of God. (laughs) 
And he was addressing this issue, how so many people want to talk and want to act as if somehow we have no idea what God really wants for our lives. Hopefully we'll stumble across it someday as we're just living our lives and doing our thing and maybe we'll get around to it. No, no, no. We don't think like this. We actually know better than this based upon God's word. So understanding all of that then, I think it's worth noting the fact that God has repeatedly told us what his will is in unmistakable terms within his word. Now, now there is an assumption I've already noted to you that we believe that the whole of scripture is a revelation of God and his will to his people. But there are several times in scripture where God just comes out through the inspired writers and plainly says, this is my will for you. Unmistakably plain. The language is right on the text. It's not implied. It's stated outright. This is my will. And he does it over and over and over again. We don't have time to chase all the text tonight, but I do want to run through a handful of them to show you what I'm talking about. The kinds of things you and I should be looking for as we look for God in his word and we discover his will. There are places that he tells us plainly, this is what I want you doing. This is how I want you thinking. This is how I want you living. This is what I want you giving yourself to with all of your life, all that you have. This is what I want for you. This is what God says to us in his word. In fact, there are a number of very plain statements. Let me just show you a handful of them. Uh, The first one I would say is this. Did you know that it is God's will, simply put, that sinners repent and be saved? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, what does he say? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing. Some translations actually use the word will there. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What is the will of God? It's that sinners repent and be saved. We know this to be the stated, plain, unmistakable will of God. This is my will, that sinners repent and be saved. Not only does he want to save sinners, but it's also the will of God that we, who now are in Christ, be transformed from rather than conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you know these verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is he saying? He is changing his people, transforming them with this discernment, this revelation of his will, so that we will not be like this world, but will be more and more like his son. Brethren, we have to ask the question, how committed are you and I to sanctification rather than just giving room to worldliness in the way that we think and value and speak and And live our lives. This is the will of God for us. Did you know that it's the will of God as well, friends, that you and I be submissive to authority? We talked about it on on the writer of Hebrews on Sunday. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15 is fascinating. He says this, but be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, what's that? That's the submission he's just named. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
We don't like this, but according to the Word of God, one of the greatest apologetics at your and my disposal is not argumentation. It is submission. That by submission to authority, we have our opponents' mouths stopped for they have nothing to say against us because we submit to the will of God with regard to authority. Not only this, it's God's will that we be sexually pure. Another plain statement of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what does it say? For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, now what's this specific sanctification? He goes on to explain that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one's transgress his, or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Once again, another statement of the will of God that we be sexually pure. It's also God's will. We talked about this one recently as well. And the writer, the writer of Hebrews is fascinating how he just grabs these thoughts from all over the scriptures. I'm just reading other scriptures that are saying the same things we've just studied recently. It is God's will that you and I be generous. Be generous. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, in a text on giving, we read this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but keep reading, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. He says that mark of generosity that just flowed was actually by the will of God that they gave themselves away for the good of God's people. That generosity is the will of God for his people. Now, this list is obviously not exhaustive. I told you that from the beginning. But friends, it does give a sampling of the kinds of passages where the will of God for his people is stated plainly rather than merely by implication. There are plenty of places that it is, it is laid out. This is clearly the will of God, though it, that language is not found in the text. Having established the pattern, then what I want to do is just spend the final minutes that we have this evening on one more passage of Scripture I've asked you to turn to tonight. I ask you to take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And what I want to do there is just read four short verses and make a handful of comments on those verses to hopefully guide us into this coming Sunday as we return to the theme of Thanksgiving once more. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to begin at verse 15 and read down through verse 18. These are familiar words, I think, to many of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Brothers and sisters, there are several things I think we need to note. I told you I have just a handful of comments to make about this passage. 
First thing I want you to see is this. I don't want you to miss the range of instruction, the range of instruction found in the passage. Note the fact that Paul commands us to rejoice, verse 16, to pray, verse 17, to give thanks, in verse 18. Truth be told, I think we tend to live very compartmentalized lives. We, we tend to think of each part of our lives and each command even of our God as individual disconnected realities. I remember hearing stories, I think it was of my uncle, who was not um, a fan of eating food that had touched another kind of food on his plate as a child. I mean, if the peas touched the mashed potatoes, man, we're going to have a meltdown. The food doesn't touch. And we've heard of children like this. Maybe you were a child like that. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is some of us live our lives like that. We think that life is just neat and clean like that. And so we have the, the church segment of our life, and we have the home segment of our life, and we have the work section of our life, and we have the friends section of our life, and we have the hobby section of our life, and we find ourselves many times reading the Word of God like that. And we, we see one idea this morning, and so that's one thing I'm going to think about, and it's one more thing to put on my to-do list, and then tomorrow I read something else, and now I've got one more thing to do on my to-do list. And then we, we tend to compartmentalize the truths of the Word of God And so for most of us, we don't really think of rejoicing, prayer, and thanksgiving as being linked in the same sentence as the stated will of God for us. Because thanksgiving's one thing, and and prayer's one thing, and, and rejoicing, that's another thing. And yet, what do we find in our text? We find the Apostle Paul giving an instruction concerning the will of God and lumping these all together in the same sentence. And saying, you think maybe if you pray a little more, you've done the will of God. Maybe if you have a couple days where you rejoice, then you've done the will of God. And and, and if you actually offer Thanksgiving at least once a year, you've done the will of God, right? We tend to think, as long as I've done it once or I've done it in some area, I've got it nailed down. But the range of instruction here and the way that he states it makes plain, no, these all are interconnected realities. They're not disconnected. The passage is making clear, friends, that true joy in the heart and ongoing prayer to God cannot be separated from thanks on the lips of God's people. They all come together. They work together. In fact, the Apostle Paul seems to imply here that each of these commanded responses are interconnected because they actually influence and flow from one another. If I could just rejoice a little more, I'd be happy, right? If I could just pray a little more, then maybe I could feel a little better because I'd check something off my list. If, as long as we can get through this next week and say a few thank yous to God, we've, we've got it nailed down. But what does he say? These all inform one another. They instruct one another. They flow from one another. And the will of God is a holistic understanding of the realities of who God is, what he's done, how we approach him, and what we say to him in response to what he does for us. These aren't separate things on a checklist. We see this, I think, in the fact that the second big reality I'd point to you is this, not only the range of instruction, but I want you to notice the superlatives in these instructions. Notice again what it says in the verse. Paul commands us to rejoice how often? Every now and then? (laughs) Always. To pray when? On Wednesday nights. When we make it. (laughs) Right? No, No, to pray without ceasing. 
to give thanks when things are going well, right? When, when, when the people I like are in the White House, when the, when the, when the you know, Congress is on my side of the aisle, I mean, when, when things are looking good, that's when I rejoice, right? When, when, it, when, it's, when it's the way I like life, you know, sun's out, flowers are blooming, weather's perfect, that's when we give thanks. After the windfall, not after the rainfall. But what does he say? Give thanks in all circumstances. Not put up with, not paste on a smile, not pretend it's okay. Give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know if that sits on you like it sits on me, but I will have to confess to you, even tonight, friends, this is a whole lot more easily talked about than acted upon. I mean, I was preparing my message for tonight as my computer decides to be disagreeable. And I wasn't sure I'd be ready for tonight because my tools are freezing and stuff is going, things rebooting, my phone's trying to update. And, and I come to supper and I sat there and I thought, I better not talk right now because if I say something, I'm probably not going to speak words that are going to be edifying to my family. That was an hour and a half ago. And now I'm standing up teaching you about giving thanks in all circumstances. It's a whole lot more easily talked about than acted upon. And yet, this is the will of God. I find this sobering, I find this staggering, I find this challenging and convicting, but I find this hope-giving, friends. See, many, I think, if not most of us, would have to admit that the fact that our, our lives feel a bit like a rat race. From the moment we rise in the morning to the time we put our heads on the pillow, at night, most of us stay busy, busy, busy. I mean, this is just life, Right? The thought of one more thing to add to our plates is enough to make most of us just about a little, just go a little crazy, right? I can't do one more, one more thing. Not one more thing on the calendar. Not one more thing in my day. Not one more thing to worry about. I'm already going insane. Pastor, stop adding stuff to my list. <laughs> stop, stop giving me more to work on. See, sadly, for many in our day, all-consuming busyness is now a badge we proudly wear and a banner we eagerly wave rather than a sin we humbly confess. We wear busyness like a badge. And we carry it around like a banner. But do we repent of that which distracts us from the most important things? Or does just being busy become the excuse why we don't have to do the most important things? You see, I'm afraid what that busyness provides for us is the excuse that many of us need to salve our consciences whenever we feel the sting of guilt that comes from failing to follow through on the commands of our Lord, the things that are the will of God. Because honestly, the will of God often gets in the way of the will of Joe or the will of you. Right? The will of God often interferes with the way I tend to live my life. 
And I think if we're honest, many of us read a text like this one where we, we find again, like the end of Hebrews was, and now this end of, of what we're reading here in 1 Thessalonians, that this, this list of more things to do, more, more things to concern ourselves with, more, more ways to obey our God. And we read a text like this one that we're considering tonight as, a, as little more than a handful of things that need to be added to our already overloaded schedules, right? I mean, my checklist is already long enough. Joe, please don't give me anything more for my checklist. Now I've got to be worried about prayer. I've got to be worried about rejoicing. And I've got to be worried about giving thanks. And what we think this is, is it's just a few more things on the checklist that we're already too busy to worry about all the stuff that's on it. But friends, when we think like that, we miss the fact that Paul actually is describing realities that are intended by God to be, listen, a state of being rather than an item on a checklist. He intends this to be a state of being, not an item on a checklist. Did I thank enough? Did I rejoice today? Did I pray? Check, check, check. That, that's not what he's talking about. When he says rejoice always, that's, that's not a checklist in a moment, right? That, that's, that's a state of being. Pray without ceasing. It's not, do I get around to prayer at some point in my busy day and check it off? No, it's not a point in time. It's a state of being. When he says give thanks in all circumstances, it's not like, did I remember to say thank you when he gave me that nice gift last week of grace, right? As if somehow there's only every now and then things we need to be thanking him for. No, in all circumstances means state of being, not item on checklist. And yet the way we tend to think, it's just how we're wired, is it's just another thing to add to the busyness that's already in our our lives. But friends, what he's saying here is that we have to come to realize that joyfulness and prayerfulness and gratitude are intended by God to be the way we live our lives, not just something we get around to every now and then and feel better when we get to check, say we gave thanks, or say we prayed. Oh, wow, I I actually rejoice today. No, not, not check mark. Way of life. Way of life. Friends, I want you to notice well, not only that we say that he gives us a range of instruction, that he gives us some superlatives in his instructions, but Paul also is giving these commands to those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that? Look at what he says. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God where? In Christ Jesus for you. I think it should be obvious to us by now, but the Apostle Paul is not targeting the hard-hearted unbeliever with these commands. Okay, This isn't like his answer to Romans 1. Nor were they thankful. And he says, okay, now, you, you unbelieving world, you hard-hearted world, I'm talking to you. No, that's not who this text is aimed at. In fact, he doesn't have the ungrateful lost man in view at all here. 
Instead, he's writing to those who would say that they are in Christ and would say that, that, that they belong to him. They would say they are recipients of his greatest grace and all of his other graces that flow from that greatest grace. And he is calling on those who are in Christ to a higher way of thinking, to a higher way of living for the sake and for the glory of King Jesus. We actually think differently. It's like we breathe different air, we drink different water, we eat different food, we, we actually have different metabolisms, we are completely different. It's, it's almost like old things have passed away and all things have become new. It's almost like the gospel's real. It actually changes everything about us. Not, not, not just some things that we said years ago and then went on to living more, a more sanctified worldly life. But it changes everything about how we think and how we speak and what we do. And yes, that change is progressive. And yes, it happens over time. And yes, it's often incremental. But here's what he's saying. It becomes all-consuming. Because Christ doesn't just save part of you. He saves you, and he saves me, and he makes us like himself. This is good news. You see, like joy, gratitude is to be our ongoing response to the settled conviction that our God always is good and always does good. He calls us to this because we are in Christ. We know this is true. You see, gratitude is not intended by God to simply be an emotion that comes and goes with the circumstances and the situations of life. Like hope and like joy, they're settled convictions of reality and therefore produce different responses. Gratitude is the same kind of thing. Notice what he says here. This is the will of God. Friends, that's the reason for all of this. I find it fascinating how often over the years, as I've talked with people about the will of God, people have said, if I could just find the will of God, I would do it with my life. And then I'll often open the Bible and I'll say something like this. All right, this is the will of God. Gratitude in Every circumstance. Wait a second. I'm actually looking for the big thing, like who I'm supposed to marry. I would do that, right? Where I'm supposed to go to school. What job I'm supposed to take. What car I'm supposed to buy. How I'm supposed to make a living. What career I'm supposed to pursue. That's the will of God I want to know. Don't, don't bother me with all this lesser stuff like be grateful all the time. <laughs> and be sexually pure. And be, be, be transformed from the world. Be generous with your, your, your thinking and your living and your stuff. Like, 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 that's not the will of God I'm looking for, right? I'm, I'm looking for the will of God, some, some magic. He wrote it in the sky, special thing with my name attached. And what does God say? This is my will of God for all of you who are mine. And I wonder, we who have often thought, maybe even have said, if God would just show me his will, I would do it with my life. Okay, tonight, guess what? He's, he's shown us his will. 
And I have to ask myself, as I ask all of you, were we serious about what we've always said about God's will? If he shows it to me, I'll do it with my life. Because when he does, we tend to find that busyness becomes a real convenient excuse (laughs) to not do the kinds of things like this that the Spirit of God is actively working to produce in us. So friends, I want to encourage us not to to make excuses and not to run from this and not merely decide that, hey, once a year, I'll write a thank you list to God on the week of Thanksgiving and I've checked, I've done the gratitude thing, right? Like that's, that's what happens. It's a cultural thing. It's just how we're wired. We are list kinds of people. We like to have the guardrail set. We like to know when we've arrived. And what does he say? Now, this is actually a lifelong journey. This is a state of being. It's not a checklist item. This is my will for you. And by his word, by his spirit, and by his grace, this is what he does in his own. He makes us this way. The question is, are we, are we working with him or are we fighting against him in the work that he's doing in us on this front? So much more that we could say tonight, we won't. I told you, I'm trying to keep these on a, on a shorter length. But friends, I, I think the point here is clear. And according to the Apostle Paul, I would say it this way. Non-stop, joy-filled, prayer-producing gratitude is the will of God for each and every one of us. So by God's grace, then let us be a people who submit ourselves joyfully and prayerfully and gratefully to the will of our great God. Because he always is good and he always does good. And as we turn our attention to prayer night, then let's cry out to him as we've done for, uh, throughout this series for these weeks now. And, and let's do it from hearts that are genuinely moved. We said it each week with gratitude to God for who he is. With gratitude to God for what he has done. With gratitude to God for what he continues to do. And with gratitude to God for what he has promised to do for those of us who are truly his. Let's be, by his grace, a grateful people in any and in all circumstances. By his grace, I pray that it would be so. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Come and Reason. This has been the fourth of five messages on the theme of biblical gratitude. Please join us again next time as we conclude this series we hope will whet our appetites and prepare our hearts to praise our great God in the coming days and weeks.